in the late 80s, early 90s, there was a show that used to come on TV called Unsolved Mysteries. How many of y'all remember that show? I believe it still comes on today uh, with a different host, but, but the one I'm talking about is the, the old show back in the, uh, back in the early 90s. And uh, what they would do on the show is they would tell of real-life mysteries, and they would do it by, by reenacting these unsolved crimes, missing persons, conspiracy theories, and, and unexplained paranormal activity. They, they would reenact stories, uh, real stories of, of, of these things. I mean, it was, they just covered all sorts of, of different, different things. And I don't know about you, but my personal thoughts about the show was that it was just creepy. It was. I was like, I think I was like 10 or 11 at the time when it, when it first aired, and I just remember being creeped out by the whole show. I mean, it had this, this, this freaky music that would come on at the beginning, and, and look at the host here. I mean, I think that's what they were going for in the show. I mean, Robert Stack, he was just a, he was kind of a creepy guy, you know? He had this deep, dark voice, and, and uh, it just disturbed me a little bit. And uh, a lot of the stories they told were just eerie. They were. And, of course, hardly any of them got resolved. I guess I was watching it thinking they were going to get solved. But the name, you know, Unsolved Mysteries, that's not going to happen. Not very often. And uh, so, so I just, my opinion of the show was that it was just, it was just gave me this chilling feeling. And, and also, I, I wasn't a fan of it because... It just left me with the feeling of of dissatisfaction, disappointment, and frustration because nothing ever got resolved. And after watching it for a while, I I eventually, I got got fed up and I, I quit watching it because though I am intrigued by mystery, what I like even more than that is when mystery gets solved. How about you? How many of you are on this page with me? I mean, we, we, many of us feel this way, right? We have this desire to understand why things happen the way that they do, who's responsible, and why. I mean, we want answers to life's mysteries. But here's the problem. We don't always get them, do we? We don't always get the answers we want. Our world is filled with unsolved, unresolved mystery. There are a countless number of things in this life that we can't make heads or tails of, aren't there? We're continuing our study this morning through the book of Ecclesiastes entitled Lessons Learned Under the Sun. And in today's text, in chapter 8, looking at verses 10 through 17, what Solomon is going to do is he is going to help us make sense of life's mysteries. And as we've discussed already, Solomon was an expert on life if there ever was one. But though that's the case, he doesn't have all the answers, does he? He doesn't. In fact, numerous times throughout this book, Solomon addresses many of life's mysteries. And he is going to revisit a few of these this morning. So for the rest of chapter 8, what Solomon is going to do is he is going to investigate a number of these things. Now, he's not going to talk about mysteries like the Bermuda Triangle, UFOs, the pyramids, Loch Ness Monster, 
abominable snowman, Bigfoot, not those kind of mysteries that, that, that are intriguing but are kind of out there. He is going to talk about mysteries that affect you and me personally. He's going to get personal here. He's going to talk about mysteries that affect each and every one of us in a personal way. Mysteries that bother us. Mysteries that keep us up at night. Mysteries that we struggle with today. And then what Solomon is going to do in this text is he's going to teach each and every one of us very important truths about God that will help us cope in this life filled with mystery. So let's begin by looking at some of life's mysteries that Solomon has observed under the sun. First, Solomon noticed this, number one, the wicked are often treated honorably. Look at verse 10. Solomon says, then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This is also vanity. Solomon here, he shows how backwards our world is. By mentioning the fact that the wicked are often praised and honored in this life and they're given a funeral worthy of a saint. Talked about a few weeks ago that in ancient Jewish culture, your funeral was very, very important. In fact, that motivated many people to live righteously because what was said about you at your funeral was so significant, it was so important that that, that motivated people to live rightly, to live a good life. So Solomon, in this verse, he is miffed by the injustice of the fact that the wicked are often honored on their death day. And we can relate, right? We do. We have a lot of despicable people buried in honorable graves. There have been a number of world leaders throughout history who are praised for being incredibly strong, courageous leaders who were really wicked and violent men. Each one of us can think of countless numbers of actors, actresses, musicians, and athletes who have died, who are praised in our society because they were masters of their craft, but, but off the stage and off the field, their lifestyle was wicked. There's a story of a woman who's attending the funeral of her husband who was a wicked and crooked criminal who had lied and cheated and had stole for everything that he had. Well, at the funeral, this guy's up there and he's just giving this heartfelt eulogy about how wonderful a man he is and about the great things he had done in his life and the woman turned to her boys and she said I think we're in the wrong spot why don't you go up there and see if that's your dad in that coffin up there and Solomon this is his attitude this is his attitude as well he is baffled by this by the fact that the wicked receive the respect and honor do the righteous and Solomon reasons like many would What's the point in living righteously under the sun? What's the point to seek to live your life in a righteous and God-honoring way only to see men praised, wicked men praised at their funeral? This is vanity, Solomon says. So this is one of the mysteries of life that we know to be true in our day that Solomon observed here 
during his life under the sun that the wicked are often treated honorably. Number two, justice is often delayed while evil thrives. Look at verse 11. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of men is fully set to do evil. Another mystery to Solomon is why justice is delayed in this life. And it didn't just not make sense to Solomon. It doesn't make sense to us today, right? Let's be honest. Why is justice delayed? Remember we talked about this in chapter 3, uh, about the fact that, the, that injustice is just ever-present in our world, isn't it? And like I said then, though I believe our system is the best in the world, that doesn't mean it's perfect, does it? Not even close. Do any of you actually believe that everyone guilty or behind bars? Of course not. The system doesn't work perfectly, and the reason why is because perfect justice can't be brought about by sinners. Because we are imperfect, we are flawed at times, we have mixed motives, we have selfish intentions, and as a result, the wicked don't always get what they deserve in this life. They don't. Justice at times is delayed, and that's one of the main reasons Solomon says that evil thrives. I mean, what's one one of the main motivators for men and women to commit crime? It's a chance they might get away with it, right? I mean, if our justice system always got their man, if it did, and punishment, the proper punishment, was always given out 100% of the time, there'd probably be less crime, wouldn't there? Probably so. Most, if not all, criminals commit crimes hoping they'll get away with it, and many of them do. Look at what Solomon says. Verse 11, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Solomon is just upset by this mystery of life. And he's thinking to himself, if the wicked were swiftly sought out, arrested and convicted, this would send the proper message to those doing evil. But instead, Solomon says, justice is delayed and as a result, Criminals are encouraged and crime increases. Solomon is once again crying out for justice. And we cry out as well, don't we? I mean, we're upset by this as well. And this is even intensified all the more when when it directly affects us or someone we love, doesn't it? And as we've said before, some even question whether or not God takes sin seriously. If justice is delayed and many people get off, does God even take sin seriously? For those of you thinking in this way, let me remind you of Solomon's words in chapter 3, verse 17, when he is making sense of injustice that's ever-present in our world. Solomon says this, chapter 3, verse 17, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time and a matter for every work. Solomon says here, even though justice is delayed, even though it's denied in this life, and even though evil thrives, Solomon says, get this, 
There is a time coming when perfect justice will take place because it will be carried out by God. There was a Supreme Court justice by the name of Horace Gray who once looked into the eyes of a man who had once appeared before him in the lower courts and had gotten off because of a technicality. And, and this Supreme Court justice said to this man, he said, I want you to listen to me. He says, I know you are guilty. And I know you know you are guilty. And I want you to understand that one day you are going to stand before one who is better and wiser than me and you are going to be judged according to justice and not according to law. And that's true, isn't it? Solomon says the same thing. Though there is injustice in this life, a time for judgment is coming, and that judgment's not going to be carried out by you. It's not going to be carried out by our courts. It's going to be carried out by God. So don't mistake God's patience for God's approval. Just because justice is delayed, it doesn't mean it won't be carried out. It, it will. But, but that's what's to come, right? That's, that's above the sun. That's a vertical perspective with, with, with God in the mix. Here on earth under the sun, Solomon says that we have to deal with this mystery in life of justice being delayed while evil thrives. There's another mystery that Solomon addresses here that affects you and me as well, and it's the fact that the wicked often outlive the righteous. Verse 12 and 13, Solomon's addressed this once before. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before Him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. We talked about this a few weeks ago in chapter 7. And remember in verse 15, Solomon says, There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in evil doing. And Solomon shared this passage to, to share his frustrations with the readers about the fact that, that he has observed under the sun that the righteous are often snuffed out in this life. Like the Billy Joel song, remember, Only the Good Die Young. Solomon says, That's right, Billy. While the wicked live on for years and years and they live a full and prosperous life. And we see this all the time, don't we? We see the good die young while the wicked prosper. I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but think about it again with me. Think about the greatest man to ever live. The Lord Jesus. He lived 33 years. And you got somebody like Hugh Hefner Seems like he's going to outlive us all. We see this all the time. And, and because this is the case, Solomon explains in chapter 7 that at first glance, it seems as if the way of the sinner is better, right? Under the sun, if they're going to live on and if they're going to prosper. We, have, we even have these sayings in our society. Bad girls, bad guys, they have what? They have all the fun, Right? Many of us have bought into that. Now, in chapter 7, Solomon addresses this issue 
with an under-the-sun perspective. Remember, he's looking at life from two different perspectives. And here in chapter 7, he's giving a horizontal, limited view of life with God removed. And he says, under the sun, this is frustrating. Under the sun, the ways of the wicked do seem more desirable because they live a long life and they prosper. But in verses 12 through 13, Solomon addresses this issue once again, but gives an above-the-sun, vertical perspective with, with, with God in the mix here. And he says, though it's true that a sinner can do evil a hundred times over and continue to prosper in this life, listen to what Solomon says here. He says, I know, I am convinced that life is still better for those who fear God. Now, some of y'all are thinking, well, I know the scripture teaches that, but I just don't see it. I mean, how could a guy like Jim Elliott, who left, who left all to follow Christ, who went to minister to a, a ferocious, vicious group of people who had never heard the name of Jesus, how can a man like that be speared to death by those he's trying to minister to while guys like Hugh Hefner and others like him continue to live on and prosper? What about that teenage girl staring down a barrel of a gun who stands for Christ and is killed for it? How could that happen while the wicked prosper? Truth is, we don't always know. That's where the frustrating part of these mysteries of life come in. We don't always know the ins and outs of why believers leave this life at a young age. But get this, I want you to get this. God uses their story. We know this from Scripture and from history. God uses their story to reach many for Him. And we know that a short-lived life for God is far better than the prosperous man, like Solomon said a few weeks ago, who lives 2,000 years and who has 100 kids. A prosperous man who lives his life without God. It's more important to live a full life than a long life. Solomon says in verse 13, But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will they prolong their days like a shadow, because he does not fear God. Solomon's point here is though the wicked man may outlive the godly man, though it may seem as if he gets away with sin, time and time again, though the rewards of life seem to be reward, reversed, where the wicked are, are rewarded where, and, and the uh, righteous are criticized in this life, Solomon says this, the wicked will not prolong his days like a shadow. Now, what does that mean? I mean, is Solomon contradicting himself because he just said the wicked, they go on and they live and they prosper. What does he mean here when he says the wicked will not prolong his days like a shadow? Well, a shadow is the testimony of the influence of your life after you've passed. Let me give you an example. Though leaders like Pharaoh, Nimrod, Nebuchadnezzar, Ahab, and Herod from the scriptures, and though leaders like Nero and Stalin and Mao and Hitler from history were big stuff in their day, the shadows of history now paint their picture in terms of the despicable and the repulsive. The shadow that has been cast because of their life has been shortened. Let me ask you this morning, after you're gone, 
will you prolong your days like a shadow? What kind of godly legacy are you going to leave, if one at all? We need to ask ourselves these questions. Will I leave a godly and lasting impact in the lives of my friends and family after I'm gone? How about it, dads? It's Father's Day. Today's as good a day as any to ask yourself, what kind of lasting and godly legacy am I going to leave behind when I'm gone? You want to know the best way to do just that? Solomon tells us here in these verses of Scripture, verse 12 and 13, three times we see the phrase, fear God. You want to make a lasting impact for God? You want to leave a lasting legacy? Solomon says, live your life in awe of, astounded by, and captivated by the one true God. Get that first. Get that right. Put first things first. Follow God. Follow hard after Him. And what does the Bible say? Everything else is going to take care of itself. It's going to fall in place if you get that right. Number four, another mystery of life that Solomon has observed under the sun is that the righteous often suffer while the wicked are rewarded. This is uplifting this morning, isn't it? You blessed. Okay. Verse 14. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it ha happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said this is also vanity. As we've talked about earlier in the scriptures, as a student of life, and a good one at that, one of the observations Solomon makes under the sun is that there doesn't seem to be much in the way of justice in this life. I mean, he's mentioned it in this passage and in, and in earlier passages as well. And Solomon, he, he revisits this frustrating mystery here in verse 14. He basically says that he has observed that the righteous often get what the wicked deserve and the wicked often get what the righteous deserve. Boy, that really shoots holes in those people who have adopted this prosperity gospel. This idea that if you're obedient to God, that God is required to bless you in the here and now. And there are many people who believe that. The only issue is Scripture just doesn't teach it. it teaches the opposite. But many of us, even though we wouldn't like to admit it, we've been influenced by this way of thinking. We have. You know why? Because when difficulty comes, we say, God, you know, I'm doing what you called me to do. I'm being obedient. I'm following you. Why is this happening to me? Well, speaking of suffering in the center of God's will, one day in the life to come, we're going to have to ask Daniel. Daniel, how could you get thrown into a den of lions when you prayed three times a day? Paul, how could you be put in prison time and time again and beaten repeatedly? How could you end up shipwrecked on the island of Malta and bit by a poisonous snake if you're doing what God called you to do? What about John? He's the one Jesus loved. Jesus loved you so much, how could you end up on a rocky island prison after being dipped in boiling oil? 
truth is, no matter how righteous, no matter how faithful, God's people, they suffer in this life while the wicked are rewarded. That's a mystery. And we know this to be the case in our world, don't we? I mean, we see this all the time. We see the innocent dealt discipline while the guilty get off scot-free, and it's frustrating. And that's Solomon's point. And there are many more examples of this from Scripture. I want to share a couple with you. First, there's the story of David. David was the youngest of seven, but he was the one chosen to be king after Saul. But he didn't become king right away, did he? He had to wait 14 long years. For 14 years, King Saul hounded David and his men, and he had a bounty on his head. And and though David had been anointed by Samuel, he remained uncrowned and on the run and had to hide in caves. Did God know what he was doing with David? Could it be that God was equipping David for leadership? I believe God used the fear David felt. God used the anxiety, the loneliness in, in, in David to build within him the right stuff so that he would need to rule Israel. See, the greatest thing God was doing inside of David during these difficult times was he was building within David a heart for God. Could it be the greatest thing God is doing within you right here and right now in and through the mysteries of the difficulties of life that you are experiencing, could it be he's working inside of you the same thing? Building within you a heart for himself. What about Joseph? Did God know what he was doing with Joseph? Did he really? I mean, Joseph repeated, suffered repeated injustices. In fact, other than his father, there really doesn't seem to be anybody that's, that's too fond of the guy. His brothers thought about murdering him, but instead they sold him into slavery, thanks. And, and remember, as a slave, Joseph rose up to the high position in Potiphar's house only to be falsely accused of sexual harassment and put in prison. And for years and years, Joseph is forgotten in prison. I mean... He had every excuse to become bitter, didn't he? I mean, he was spent the majority of his adult life separated from his family, separated from his father, who was the only one who really cared for him, separated from his homeland in slavery and in prison. What happened to Joseph wasn't fair. Did God know what he was doing with Joseph? He bet he did. God used the tragic things that happened to Joseph for good. You see, God sent Joseph ahead to Egypt, be it an unusual way, right, to get there. But he got there. And God used Joseph to inform Pharaoh that, he was, that there was going to be a shortage of food in the land. So Pharaoh appointed Joseph head of the kingdom. And he began to put back this, this food and store it away. And as a result... Many lives were spared because of Joseph being in Egypt, including the lives of the Jewish people, including the lives of his own family. Wow. Let's look at the other side of the coin. Solomon says, I've seen the wicked get what the righteous deserve. In fact, Solomon, little did he know that 
following him were going to be some of the, the vilest rulers in all of history. And one of those was Manasseh. You may not be familiar with the story of Manasseh, but Manasseh was born into the good family of King Hezekiah. And at 12 years of age, he comes to the throne and he reigns for 55 long years. He was wicked. He murdered members of his own family. He slaughtered thousands of people and he filled the temple with pagan idols. Manasseh was seated at the throne of Solomon and he was a godless and profane, vicious tyrant and he remained in power for 55 years. Did God know what he was doing with Manasseh? Did he really? See, Manasseh becomes a great example of God's patience and mercy and grace. You know why? Because Manasseh ends up in prison in Babylon and God brings him to repentance. And you know what? Manasseh turns from his sins he abandons his idolatrous ways and he lives for God and God restores Manasseh and his kingdom. Wow. Don't ever believe anybody that tells you that God's mercy and grace is not evident in the Old Testament. It is. Throughout human history, God works in and through these injustices and proves time and time again that he's on the throne and that he is to be trusted no matter what. Could it be that when you're looking back over the, the difficulties of your life, could it be when you're looking back above the sun with God that, that instead of questioning Him like you do today, you will be praising Him for the great work that He has done in and through you through the difficulties of this life? So though the righteous often suffer while the wicked are rewarded, rest assured this morning that God is in control, that He is at work in and through the harsh circumstances of life. Here's the fifth and final point. Number five, the harsh mysteries of life cannot be fully understood under the sun. Verses 15 through 17. And I commend joy... For man has no good thing under the sun but to eat and to drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. Then I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the, the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. Then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he doesn't know. That's what Solomon's saying. He cannot find it out. Though the scriptures are essential, uh, crystal clear on the essentials about how we are to be saved and, and live rightly for God, there are things about God, his person and his ways that are mysterious. They are beyond us. That's what we're talking about this morning when we talk about life's mysteries. If you're the type of person who has to have an answer for everything, you're going to end up extremely disappointed in this life. You are. Because this life is, is filled with, with mystery. Through many difficult and sleepless nights, Solomon says here, 
he applied himself to try to find the answers. He, he diligently tried to find the answers to life's mysteries. And after many restless days and sleepless nights, he came to the conclusion that those mysteries, they're unanswerable. Solomon, the wisest man to ever live other than the Lord Jesus. And in verse 16 through 17, he concludes that, that there are things about God and his ways that just cannot be understood by us. They are beyond us. It doesn't matter how much you claim to know. Solomon is clear. There are certain mysteries that are beyond us. And we know this to be true, don't we? In fact, Scripture tells us that. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, we're told the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. There are secret things about God and His person and His work that we don't know. And listen, we probably couldn't wrap our minds around even if He did reveal them to us. But that shouldn't discourage us, should it? It should encourage us because it shows us how great our God is so far beyond our minds to comprehend all that he is. In the past, I used to just get upset by the fact that there were all these questions in life that I just couldn't answer. Mysteries I couldn't explain. Mysteries like we've talked about today. Why do wicked people prosper? Why does evil thrive? Why do bad things happen to good people? And you know what? As I continued to study the scriptures, you know what I found? What God wants from me more than anything else is not for me to come to understand all the ins and outs of the mysteries of life. He wants me to come to understand that He is God and that I am not and wants me to just humbly come before Him and trust in Him and follow Him and live for Him and enjoy my life in Him. And that's what He wants from you as well. He does. He's not concerned with how much you know or what you know. He's concerned with who you know. He is. You may not all understand the ins and outs of the, the mysteries of life. Don't worry, nobody does. But let me ask you this. Do you know the one who knows? Some of you may be thinking to yourself, no, and by the look of these mysteries of life, I'd rather not. Because life for God's people seems hard. I mean, if bad things happen to good people, if the good die young, if the wicked are the ones who tend to prosper in this life, then I'm going to join them. I'm going to align myself with them. Let me tell you this morning, if that's your perspective, a, a, a limited, horizontal perspective with God removed, let me bring God into the picture for you. I'm going to end by reading Psalm chapter 37, beginning in verse 1. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. He will bring forth righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Verse 16, better 
is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of the wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. Would you pray with me? Father, though this life is filled with mystery, and though these mysterious circumstances of life are at times trying and difficult, Lord, your word says that it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Father, those here this morning struggling with the mysteries of life, I pray that you would show them this morning that you are God and that they are not. May we, by your help, come to leave the secret things of this life to you and simply come humbly before you and trust in you and follow you and live for you and enjoy our life in you. If there's anyone here this morning who does not know you, I pray that today be the day of their salvation, that they turn from their sin and make King Jesus your son, Lord. Father, I want to thank and give a special thanks to our fathers who are here this morning. Lord, I pray that you would help us, give us wise, uh, give us wisdom and, and direction from your word, Lord. Bless their, their efforts, Lord, this morning. Show them that they are appreciated. And Father, give us what we need to leave a lasting and God-honoring legacy for your glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.